okay, I'm going to distract it for like one second. I promise. Have I ever told you about my best friend in art school who went vegetarian <laughs> and only ate cornflakes? You did tell me about him, but I don't remember anything other than that. Uh, well, the reason I'm saying this is he saved the boxes of the cornflakes that he packets, the boxes that he ate. Uh huh. Right? Uh-huh. And he actually started like building a wall in front of the only window in his bedroom with them. <laughs> Which, looking back on it, is crazy. But yeah. at the time, like, we were all like, okay. But like, looking at it now, it's like, why would you do that? You're shutting out the daylight. Yes, seriously. Seriously. But like, time, like okay, sure. Sure. Like, like it's a good graphic image. Um, <laughs> we were, like, we were in art school and we were terrible. Right. Um, but I told you what happened to him. I told, him, I told you why he had to stop eating the cornflakes, right? It, didn't he get scurvy or was it some okay, sort of so anemic he collapsed yeah there we go oh my Cornflakes, god not enough to keep you from anemia yeah the end of the story it was purely like mentioning the the uh, egg boxes oh. that i was like oh cornflakes box that's literally <laughs> where my head went <laughs> well thanks graham thank you uh yeah no i'm now somehow convinced that if i start putting them up egg boxes i will seem as crazy as your roommate so you've probably just talked me out of that no it's it's a well-respected audio technique no i know i know i know i i I... you will however get scurvy hello everyone listeners far and wide welcome to the latest installment of drock a monthly podcast uh, wherein we read a new installment of Judge Dredd, The Collected Case Files, uh, with each episode. Uh, I am Jeff Lester, uh, who has nothing more to say than my name for the most part. But let my fabulous co-host introduce himself. He is... Graham McMillan. Hi. Hi, whatnots. Hi, listeners. We are, we're on volume 12 of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, which covers progs 523 through 570 of 2080 from 1987 to 1988. They are all written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. These are the final episodes co-written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. They fall out because of something that we're going to talk about later. Yes, we are. I'm really excited to talk about that and it's drawn by all manner of people this is again there's some great looking stuff in this book yes like the brett ewins and jim mccarthy stuff is great brendan mccarthy does some great episodes of stuff in here yeah it's just great cliff robinson's in there jim bakey's got some good stuff yeah it's a really good looking book again yes and uh before i forget we are coming to you live from robert lewis stevenson block to discuss uh this Complete case file, volume 11. So, Graham? Jeff. I had posed this to you beforehand to give you a little bit of uh, uh, um, a heads up, so to speak. The listeners, if you've been uh, reading along with us and you yourself has finished uh, the complete case files, volume 11, you will know that over half the volume is one single megaprog uh, called Oz that we, of course, will be talking about. There's also an amazing, I don't know if it's three-part or four-part story. I think, I think called, it's four-part. Yeah, four-part story called Revolution that uh, basically decided that um, last year's letter from a Democrat was 
perhaps a tad too wishy-washy and sentimental. Right? Yeah. It, it was. It was going, letter from a Democrat. You know, that wasn't harsh enough. Yeah. It, what if we really double down on completely how fascistic yeah. the, the judges are? Yes. So apart from those two, and again, Oz takes up half the volume, I posed to Graham, and he's had some time, I hope, to think about it. I thought it might be a good idea for us to talk about what our favorite stories were, uh, uh, like each pick a favorite story from the volume that's not either of those two stories, because I'm sure we will be discussing them at length. And we would probably uh, yeah. Yeah, trample one another trying to claim one or the other as our favorite. So, Graham, what uh, would you I, say? I, ha I have a couple. Okay. And they're actually in a three-issue run. Oh, interesting. Fairly Hyperman, I really have a fondness for. Mm. Uh, in large part because, A, it features the secret origin of Garth Ennis. Yes! B, it is... It's, it feels like a Monty Python skit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a good way. Mm. But it does. Even the name Fairly Hyperman feels like a Monty Python skit. Yes. Uh, and then the, the, the denouement... He says, suddenly turning French, that, you know, Dredd just happens to have a gun with essentially kryptonite bullets. Yeah. And he goes, that's unlikely. And he's like, yeah, but so are you. Is great. Yeah. Like, I really enjoy that. There's mm -hmm. a, a wonderful simplicity about it. Yeah. But probably my favorite is the story that just precedes that, Reasons to be Fearful, mm. which I take as very much of a piece with... The revolution story absolutely it's sort and, of a and, preface in a way and forms sort of that revolution and oz form my grand operating theory for the book mm. which is this volume is the one where wagner and grant really get into the idea of the judges waging like psychological warfare mm -hmm. citizens mm -hmm. and it being very much about propaganda and and the optics mm-hmm so reasons to be fearful is essentially there is a television host who is critical of the judges and they basically gaslight him mm -hmm. into that like he is, he is having a psychotic break, a nervous breakdown because he's saying mean things about the judges so that he stops and says nice things about the judges. Mm -hmm. But like it's all manipulated by the judges. The judges are completely gaslighting him. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like Revolution, it's so brutal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it really is. It's like, oh fuck. Yeah. Wow. They're they're just going for it. They're one hundred percent just going. The judges are the bad guys. Yeah. Oh yes. No. The the judges are the bad guys is a really fascinating. Again, the caveat, you know, uh, that uh, that. Wagner and Grant and the editors and the artists at 2000 AD were turning this out weekly. Um, they may have had long-term plans, but there wasn't anything like a, a, a sense of like, oh yeah. And then eventually, you know, someone's going to collect all of this in a year and, you know, a year to go and we'll develop all the underlying themes that will subtly, um, you know, illuminate one another. But but there is definitely a sense of because it's happening every week, Wagner, Grant and company are um, things that resonate with themselves or resonate with the readers. They circle back on. And one of the things that I very much like about this volume, again, despite the fact that it doesn't break into a, uh, you know, it's not the, it's not supposed to be as neat as it as it reads 
is the first half of the volume is dread being the dread and the judges being seen as uh as as bad as just as no flat other way as just bad and it's a fascinating read because particularly after you get through revolution but even even before when you look at like you said the the story with the talk show host um there's a little bit of a feeling that something that would have been a lighter story that would have landed like um with sort of more of a laugh the laughter gets so dark here that it more or less goes away entirely and then kind of just just when we need it most as readers um oz comes along and manages to be ha- be a big old uh by dread standards old-fashioned story in which you have a hero and that actually that hero's not dread though yes exactly exactly but it ends up being you know not only does it make life a little bit easier but it sort of pulls the the book a a little bit more back into the light where it needs it, to be i think yes and no Hmm. I have this again. My grand operating theory. Yeah, you get the first half of the book of the judges continually. Yeah, I, I don't say making the wrong choices because they're very much being themselves. Yes, you know, and the revolution story will get there soon. But it's a it's a wonderful example of how self serving the justice department is. Yes, absolutely. Right, mm-hmm. and that they are essentially doing they're waging war on the citizens right. in order to remain in power and basically keeping power not even necessarily keeping order but keeping power yes. has become the their predominant aim right right to the point where you know even they they, they can't allow a a, a democratic process mm-hmm. to to even be talked about mm-hmm. because that will undermine them so much mm-hmm. and then you got Oz coming along and Oz feels like in very not necessarily culmination because it's not but but an outgrowth of that because you have Chopper being this folk hero that the city believes in in a way that they no longer believe in the judges. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So you see the city, you see a popular movement mm-hmm. grow. And you see a popular movement succeed against the judges. The first chapter of Oz is that the people are so excited to see Chopper that they manage to help him escape. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And then keep seeing through that entire story the city is on the side of Chopper, and they're not hiding it. The television broadcasts are very clear. We support Chopper. We want Chopper to get to Australia. We want Chopper to win Super Surf 10. Yes. It's, not, it's completely unambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this, this part of this comes from knowing what is to come. You also see Dread be swayed by public opinion, I think. Do you? And like, well, this is what I, I want to talk to you about this. Mm. When we're talking about Oz, mm-hmm. there's another running theme in this book, which we'll get to later, because mm-hmm. there's a, one of your favorite characters, I say sarcastically, comes back in this this volume <laughs> as well. But Dread ends up wanting Chopper or telling Chopper he wants him to win. Mm-hmm. And Chopper doesn't believe him. But I do. Oh, I do. too. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that Dread was happy that Chopper makes it to Australia. Spoilers, everyone, but not really. We're talking about comics that are 30 years old. There is this element of especially in the final episode of Oz, is Dredd 
maybe for the first time in the entire fucking run of the book, conflicted about his personal feelings versus his duty. Hmm. And considering where Dredd as a character is going to go, mm-hmm. I think that it weirdly gets its start in this volume. And I think it really gets start in Oz. Mm-hmm. That we start to see Dredd thinking for himself. Mm-hmm. Which is utterly fascinating to me. Because you have a volume where the Justice Department is revealed to be or is finally portrayed to be very, very, very focused on maintaining order and power. Right. And at the same time, essentially, you see Dread start to be like, what if I have my own moral codes? Mm-hmm. Which is fascinating to me. You know, I have to say that I think that what you are talking about is colored by your knowledge of where the character goes. I well, think yes, I, I I think that's very possible. And also it's also colored by in this book you see forward planning for the first time. Mm-hmm. The end of revolution is the end of the beginning. Yes. You know, we're like, oh they're actually plotting stuff. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't, right? Right, right. Like maybe it's all a a, a shell game. Well, I feel like the end of the beginning is a little bit of a, even back then, was a a hackneyed inspirational, you know, take. They do pick that up. Well, sure, they do. But, I, you know, how do I put it? I personally feel, and this may come into play when we talk about the ending of Oz, the, the meta behind it, um that there are very different approaches in some ways, ultimately that end up emerging out of Wagner and Grant's approaches to, to their, to these titles. And I do get the sense that Wagner is, uh, there are things that he he likes leaving things open, you know, Yes, like very, he, very much. He very much likes to have himself uh, a place to go, you know, because he's it, it It may not necessarily think very far in advance. But I mean, you know, we there's a couple of stories here that we could point to that sort of like the return of Stan Lee is that that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Could well be posited as either a, an argument for or an argument against like. I think, sure. as you point out, like, yeah, Stan Lee was going to come back sometime. Considering what it was that we got, was that what they were building to? I would really hope not, you know, but, you know. But, but okay, but to maybe not make a counter argument, but to show that they're also forward planning, there's the PG Maybe story. Yes. Which, which explicitly is a prologue. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, and they're, they're clearly, and again, I'm, my knowledge is completely colored by, by what's to come. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a really strong argument to be made that PG Maybe is actually Dreads Arch Nemesis. Mm. Is PG Maybe the kid with the mad ball? Uh, yeah, it's the yeah, one that his yep. story ends with like, PG Maybe, this is his first murder, but it won't yep. be his last. Yes, yep. PG Maybe genuinely is going to be a character from now on, on an entirely regular basis. Yeah. But PG Maybe is going to be 
like it's one of the things that happens in the Stan Lee story is Dread basically is like, no one ever beats me twice. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. PG maybe goes on to be the character who just beats Dread repeatedly. Right. And basically always. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is great. And I think so. I think that actually PG maybe is in that sense. That's the one where it's kind of like, oh, like everything else, especially the end of Oz, I think has a lot to do with Wagner being like, I don't let's not remove. Let's not take this piece off the board. Like, I want this piece to stay. There's some fondness there, but it's very much a, no, I see where this figure can continue to present me with a lot of opportunities, even if I don't necessarily know where they're going to go. That's sort of very organic. And, and but yeah, PG, maybe that introductory piece was fun, but the fact that it kind of ends with nothing more than sort of, introducing the kid and then we're on to you know and then we're on to something else entirely yeah yeah you know is is i think an even uh is that sign of like oh yeah now he's he's that's the first thing where it feels like seeding something with a specific idea as opposed to just sort of strewing seeds about and then kind of leaving them to revisit in a year and figure out if they spark anything else. Uh, well, the other thing about this is also the flip side of it. Mm-hmm. Oz is all about picking up threads that have been left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Bringing Chopper back. Yeah. Like Chopper's not been seen for three or four years. That's right. You know? But you bring him back and they've done the... They've kind of done the heavy lifting of Chopper's a folk hero. Yes, they can literally just start chapter one by going like, "You remember, he was the guy the last time, right. like was like everyone was chanting his name, yeah. and even the the Judah stuff, which kind of comes out of nowhere, mm-hmm. like is is building on what scant mythology there is. That's right about the origins of the Justice Department. Yeah, and of, of dread for that matter. Actually, I actually have a question about that because you'll know better than I do. Because again, I know too much about this shit. Is this <laughs> the first? No, really, is this the first time they talked about dread being a clone? Um, no. Although what I would say is I feel like it's the first point where it sort of feels like it's because no, because because it's, of course, when Rico appears, they're mentioned to be both be clones of Judge Fargo. Right. So (laughs) that's that's there. I feel like this might be the first time that you see a flashback to the early days of the judges and you actually see Judge Fargo. You know? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely the first time you've seen Fargo. Yeah. But also, like, the Judah stuff, and again, we'll get to Oz more fully later. The Judah stuff is basically a lot of dreads a clone, and what does that mean? And I feel like it's the first time that's actually really been focused on. Mm. And again, in years to come, and when I say years to come, I mean, like, uh, kind of in a couple of years, but really in, like, ten years. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot more focus on the fact that dread is a clone. Right, right. You know, it's funny because I do feel that um, because these are weekly installments, it's it's 10, you know, we're on year 11 of Dread, but the amount of material is such that, you know, it would be closer to something like, what, 40 years of another character, you know, yeah. in, in a way. And I think part of that uh, is takes dread 11 years to the point where um it takes other books you know i i feel like the idea of you know we you know we're only now at the stage of 
Batman versus Batman or, you know, Spider-Man versus Spider-Man. Like the, the Spider-Man clone story ends up hitting, you know, in the 90s and, you know, both selling a ton of copies and completely, you know, arguably running really close to destroying the character. And it, it's, but it, it's so fascinating because the weekly format, sure, but it's still only doing, you know, what, 20 to 30 pages a month? Right. So it's not it's just it is just like ten years of of you know a regular American comic, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely um but uh it, it, but at the same time, well, except that it's sort of i don't know, I don't think that that's entirely true because if you've got you know if you've got six, it's one thing it, it's six page back when dread was like five pages. Um, you could be like, oh, okay, so four issues a month. It's like a 20-page comic book, and that's true. But then by the time you're getting to six or seven or eight pages, you could look at it like, well, it's like an issue and a half. But particularly with Dread, that where something that, that we haven't really talked about that is, you know, I feel such a, in part we're not talking about it because it's such a... Um, one of the most important things about the character is kind of how rarely like villains come back, you know, like dread churns a lot. And yes, you know, we see when they do return, it feels like an event. And this is going to, again, get diluted over time. Like we're going to hit the nineties and, and Wagner's going to step back and other writers are going to step forward. And I kind of feel like they're like, what if we bring back judge dead, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but, you know, Judge Death has basically been in two stories, kind of three. Yes. But, like, only two Dread stories. Right. Right. You know, and and because of that, it does feel like an event. Right. Exactly. I mean, the, the number of times, you know, if you want to compare the number of times that Judge Death has popped up to, say, Doctor Doom in Fantastic Four, sure. like, it's it's huge. And, and I think American comics really do run that way. So I think through the nature of churn, I think there's a big difference by um, the, the opening, the, you know, we never got around to it, but I'll, I'll jump back. My favorite pick, my favorite non-revolution, non-Oz story in this is the Raggedy Man. And part of that, a lot of that gets um, credit to uh, John Ridgway's work, which I think Mm -hmm is fabulous because the raggedy man is a horror story and it is a horror story that to me is so illuminated by some absolutely perfect storytelling. Um, I think the, the final panel of the first um, installment where he's basically sneaking up on somebody and cutting their throat literally while dreads warning everybody like Izzard used to be a judge and the raggedy man takes that kind of like, it's sort of getting to the point where like Wagner and Grant are kind of blending their stories. Like you get kind of a cursed earth story, you get a judge gone wrong story. And then you also get the very weird, unique storytelling choice of, it being told as if it's a children's book with lots of gruesome stuff going in it. But Ridgeway really does a fabulous job of bringing out that horror side of things. And, and yet 
sort of when you look at the mix, like you're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's very much a kind of, you know, 20 percent cursed earth, 20 percent, you know, uh, dark reworking of of children's stories. And of course, the judge gone bad. And one of the things that I think is great about the Judah when they emerge in um, Oz is that they are uh, the dark mirror of the judges, but it's not it's not just sort of judge gone wrong. And sort of what reinforces that is, is that they are like it's one of them is like a dread is a clone of dread or rather mm-hmm. dread and he are both clones of, you know, Fargo. Fargo. So it's got that kind of extra oomph of. Um, it takes the, you know, the judge gone wrong and it brings it up to another level in part because it's no longer just one rogue judge. It's essentially a cult of judges that are in their way just as valid, you know, genetically as as dread and the judges that he works with are. And in fact, mm-hmm. one of the things that they say at one point is one of the judges refers to the Judah as as creeps. You know, the traditional yes. dreadian term for, you know, a criminal scum. And this guy and the chief judge is like, these guys are not creeps. These are the best of the best. These are the same men that we are, essentially. So it's it's kind of great the way that, A, it manages to step up the one bad judge level in the Judah, but also they kind of... When you look at it, and again, it works all the way down to just their terrific design. It's kind of like, yeah, they, they, they are. They're another dark mirror. Uh, instead of it being just a dark mirror of the judges, uh, I mean, of dread, it's a mirror of the judges and the system. And I think that yes, exactly. And- it, it's literally the 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 judah which i've honestly for years i've literally seen these characters for 30 years i always called them the judah and you're right they probably are the judah that makes much more sense thank you for being smarter than me do you but think they are, i are, could be wrong they could be judah because the guy's name is Judd. yeah yeah so yeah they are explicitly where the justice department could have gone exactly because Judd was a judge who wanted to do this thing yeah. and they got rid of him yep yeah. But even Silver, as the chief judge, said I was in favor of it at the time. Yes. Yeah. Know, like, which is which is great and chilling at the same time. It's yep. another reminder of like the judges are the bad guys. Right. Um Right. But to get back to, to uh the Raggedy Man. Yes. Uh it has my favorite ending in this volume, I think. Mm, which is so the, the happy ending gag. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was great. Which is basically like, they all lived happily ever after, except the Raggedy Man who was dead, and the surviving Hell Trekkers, most of whom died from Plague Scab shortly afterwards, and certainly not Judge Dredd, who's seldomly happy about anything. Which is and great. Something... It is. It's yeah. just great, because it's yeah. like, there's no happy ending to Judge Dredd. Right. It's, it's simultaneously a joke, and also really depressing when you stop to think about it. It's, it's, it, is, it is that sweet spot that I feel that Wagner and Grant and group are trying for through so much of the volume which is it it is funny and it is depressing as shit like it, it is it's the darkest joke the yeah. best jokes here are really 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 dark Absolutely. or in the case of Oz offensive as shit to Australians 
Well, yeah, I don't know. I uh, maybe we'll have to we'll have to go over some of that. Yeah, that's... yeah. Well, but um, no, Raggedy Man's a great story. It yeah. really is a very good story. Yeah, and I and and it's you know what's great also about this is that um, for me this volume what's great is Oz really hits at the right time because apart from Revolution, which feels ju- you know just right, I think everything else always leaves me wanting just a little bit more like particularly raggedy man like that the end of the first thing where he's killing everyone and i'm like oh fuck like judge dread dread is wounded and the rest of these guys are being surrounded are have an insane judge you know essentially attacking them i'm like what could be kind of fucking better right like this is good like i was like i would happily see this be like five parts and then it's over in two and i'm like uh-huh. Ah, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to complain because it's so good. You say that, but the, it's got the Al- the Alabama blimps, which is just terrible. Oh, sorry, you're right. I blocked my Japanese. way out of that. That's right. I totally blocked on that. Now, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that uh, Fairly Hyperman or whatever it is, uh, is like the birth of Garth Ennis because Alabama blimps reads. Is also the birth of Garth Ennis. Is, I swear to God just a template for ennis like whenever it, yeah, he, that, yeah yeah that but uh, no the fairly hyperman bit in particular is fairly hyperman slash superman stops the speeding car and the two people go out this windscreen and get splatted yes yeah absolutely. that's that was like i was like oh shit that's garth ennis yeah but you're right alabama limps is is very got ennis as well but that could well be because um watching steve dylan's art here it goes from oh i see glimpses of the steve dylan that i recognize in this panel oh that panel oh that storytelling choice by the time it's alabama blimps it's like it's somehow all dylan like that is the dylan that that when you later encounter or at least i later encounter in preacher it's not that different the angles the profile shots, the, you know, like it just feels enough like it. And then throw in a bunch of, you know, just sort of simple redneck humor. And I'm just like, oh man. Yeah. Like I, I, it would not surprise me if, you know, young Garth Ennis literally had this entire story like papered on his wall, you know, and just, (laughs) just looked at it day and night and consulted panels after panel for any time he had a question about how to approach a story or an idea. So yeah, that what's, what's funny is we say that, but like these are 87, 88 and Garth Ennis's first comics were like a year later. Oh yeah. So, well, but you're right. Uh, But I'm like, yeah, but he I mean, obviously. when when did it come out? I'm, Maybe I'm this looking. is the big turning point for him. Yeah, know? it it came out uh, eighty nine, and I mm. remember when it came out, he was still a teenager. Mm-hmm. So let's say that like the Ennis is seventeen when he's reading these comics. They, right. they, so yeah, that right. kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think this makes sense in terms of him being like this. This is it, baby. This is the sweet spot. And and you gotta you gotta give him credit because it was kind of like it. I had to all but pinch myself. Again, some of that is precisely and entirely how 
Dylan tells the story um, visually, but there's a few points where I'm like, even right down to having the crazy sort of, uh, you know, Worcester and Jeeves uh, analogs tromping about in there, you know, and the... Yeah, no, no, they're so... It's funny, I did not put two and two together, but you're 100% right. Mm -hmm. There is so much of Ennis's writing in this story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's, it's just... shocking now that you say that. I'm like, how could I have missed that? How <laughs> could I have missed that? But you're 100 percent right. There's the, the like the, the uh, I mean, what do you call Ennis's like redneck stereotypes? Mm-hmm. It's not racist, but what is it? Because it's it's completely stereotypical, right? And I mean, you know, I, yeah, in, in the same, but in the same way that you're right, there's the upper class British people in this. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. And so just absolutely drawing on that sort of, I guess for lack of a better term, like the broad humor, just using that very broad humor as, um, I, I, and I would, I would guess that sort of the other lesson that Ennis learned and uses a lot and, and probably got a lot of his rep on is by using the broad humor and kind of always having it a um, within arm's reach when he uses it to um, lighten up a dark story or he uses it to change up the beats in a darker story, it doesn't feel as jarring as it might you know, because you've read his other stuff, you know what I mean? And I think Wagner and Grant, again, this story, but even even throughout a lot of stuff, I feel like, you know, Revolution is the only story here where there's n nothing funny about it. Like, you know, even even the story with um, the, the judges gaslighting the talk show host. Oh, no, it's, it's played for, for comedy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they're going for super dark laughs most of the time. And when, the, you know, they'll throw in some broad humor and, you know, and to me that that does pay its biggest dividends. Um, the ending of Oz for me works precisely because all of that stuff is seeded in a way um, that that when the ending the inevitable ending that Wagner and Grant end up parting ways over and ends up going differently than one of them insists it should. Um, it ends up because they have been that broad humor in the Australian judges. You know what I mean? They totally bring that in and it's in a way it's it, to me, there's, there would be an argument to be made that, it wouldn't work if you weren't deal if it hadn't if that wasn't so not not just in the right amounts in Oz itself when the judges are introduced like they're the Australian judges are introduced just for laughs when they're running around. Well, I mean, one of them is literally called Bruce. Yes, which is great. The fact that he just goes by Bruce, his first name, and keeps calling Dread Joe, like that's all fucking delightful and then it ends up paying some it literally ends up paying dividends because when it's time to 
you you basically set up an immovable object and an irresistible force, which is Chopper saying that he would rather die than be free and that Dread would rather kill him rather than let him escape. How do you resolve that? And, you know, and to me, it it, it, it not only works, but it works at, at, at an almost life-affirming level, which we'll get to, I guess, when we get to Oz overall, I suppose. But it, what I find fascinating about this about this volume is revolution aside, um, well, I don't know about that. The stories, apart from the stuff that's great, are kind of, to me, like, eh, you know, like fairly hyper guy or whatever is okay like the the Westworld ripoff is okay like the <laughs> the bad the Westworld ripoff is so obviously Westworld ripoff as well that yes. it's it's kind of impressive how like they don't even try to hide it you know I I'm like I'm... here's a here's a theme park where you can pretend to do everything oh no everyone's actually getting killed yes they, like you not expect someone called like bull Renner. Yes. To wander in in black. Totally, totally. The fact that they were like, they turned in the first volume, the, the first draft, and, and the editors called them and were like, you guys can't call it Rest World. You've got to come up with a different term. And they're like, uh. Don't kill crazy. Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. So, you know, is is there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, sure, it's okay, uh, it's fine. But then there's the shit that it sort of a is amazing and fantastic, and and even in a way, the you know, like you said, the fairly hyperman story is is funny. Um, it's kind of pointed. It's kind of great that the Wagner and Grant don't duck away from making fairly hyperman like as super as much of a superman analog you know what i mean like they don't they, like they're just like yeah it's him it's totally it's oh, yeah 100 yeah, like yeah. if they could have gotten away with just having a be superman they completely would have they absolutely would have so uh i think one of the things that so works in in dread's favor uh, at this point and this far in isn't just the af after ways of kind of in a lot of ways keeping the streams separate so to speak of terms of like here's our you know Eisner-esque little guy story here's our judge gone wrong story it's like how bad is Dredd's actually story they begin sort of mixing them together they sort of I think have figured out they're they're comfortable enough with the components that they're like okay here's our story that you know that is going to be our comedy story that also has you wondering you know if the you know if the judges are not real are the baddies you know yeah and here's yeah. here's the other story and i think that that's you know, I think I think sort of the you know when we talked about last volume and kind of it, it being great, but also kind of the first one that you couldn't quite hand a um, new new reader who's interested in dread. The stuff yeah. that's in here that's profoundly enjoyable, and even the stuff that it isn't, is all is all dread. Like it's and it's all necessary for for what the strip has become by this point. 
and it's even being mixed in ways to sort of appreciate, you know, from the history of this, of the character at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if I picked up this volume, there'd be shit where I'd be like, you know, because something like revolution is, is strong enough to fucking blow your mind on its own, but taken in some with everything that you've read before it it's stunning and similarly taking something like oz um which to me on the one hand is almost the i think you probably could take oz just separate it from everything else and give it to um a reader and they'll they could dig it. They could probably just love it. Oh yeah, uh, Oz, Oz, I think could stand alone if it had to, Absolutely. and Revolution could stand alone if it had to. Yeah, but especially Revolution, I think, gains so much more from Letter from a Democrat. Absolutely, you know, like it really does. It, mm -hmm. it hurts. Mm -hmm. It really hurts mm -hmm. if you've read that other stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I mean, Oz, Oz is Oz is a wonderful serial. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's an incredibly successful mega epic. Actually, maybe it's it's definitely one of my favorite mega epics. Oh, me too. Um, yeah. Uh, but part of what I like about it is by the end, it's, it's a fucking sports comic. Do you oh, know what I mean? Like it, it completely. It's not even like trying to be anything else. I. You know, you get the last like three chapters. Right. Right. No. Right. And, and that's great. I, I think that helps it in, in appealing to someone else, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. But it, like it's, yeah. it's denouement does not – use that word again. I have no idea why I'm using that <laughs> word so much now. Um, but it doesn't rely on like any greater mythology. No. It's literally, okay, you've been buying into this and it's all about the sporting contest that Chopper needs to win. Here's the contest. Well, yeah, because because Chopper is the hero of it and it's only really Chopper's third appearance, everything in it is more or less seated that if you just told that story, like if you just hand that story to someone and Dredd is the Javert-like antagonist, it totally works. I mean, it's it, it the the thing that you know, without meaning to to sh shoot my high flute and rhetorical wad too early, and I apologize altogether for using that term and demand you take it out immediately in editing. Graham is uh, is there's the amazing cliffhanger where Chopper is over the seas. He's on his board. He's managed to make his way across the cursed earth the the really disturbingly racist uh, Mexican coast. And then he yep. sets out across the seas and he knows he's going to run out of power on his, on his, you know, cool sky surfboard. And what's wonderful is, is as he goes down, the ending is so perfectly crafted from reading the other appearances of Chopper that you're like, Oh, this could be it. This could be it for him. You know, it's not going to, but again, this is one of the special awesome things about Dread is they've gotten bored and killed off mega epics early before. Right, exactly. You know? you're, so, you're like, you know, we're, we're only in chapter 14. Yeah. But, you know, City of the Damned only made it eight chapters. Right. Before we gave up, who the fuck cares? Who knows? Who cares? So, yeah, no, it's it's great. But to me, it's like then he ends up landing on a ship and you he encounters essentially the robot equivalent of Long John Silver from Treasure Island. 
And yes, which is the, the greatest thing. Oh, is fabulous. Not only do I love everything about that chapter, which is, again, sort of like the Raggedy Man, funny and creepy, uh, but it also kind of, in in a way that Wagner and Grant have, you know, in various other places, sort of dropped an illusion here or two that's kind of like, oh, clever, I know what they're doing. That was the point where I was like, oh, shit, like, this is... This is them being like, let's do Treasure Island. You know, Treasure Island was Robert Louis Stevenson serialized it in a magazine for boys. It was, you know, his first major super success, but it was first and foremost an adventure serial, which had uh, a young boy hero at the core of it, surrounded by all kinds of unsavory types managing to you know more or less triumph against the odds and at at that point i mean i was loving oz all through it but at that point it was just kind of um part of what i really liked about oz and is like you know as i think we've discussed on previous episodes the the cursed earth the i don't know it's sort of the first real mega prog mm-hmm. yeah um, well it is it's the, it's the first like, yeah, one that goes 26 parts yeah exactly i'm like i guess the the war of the robots doesn't really quite count even though it goes on a ways but yeah it's this big old thing that is like it to me oz feels like a throwback to the cursed earth in all the best ways and one mm-hmm. of the things that i think is really wonderful about it is a, there's the subversion of that, and B, then there's the subversion of Dread gets a subplot with the Judah, the Judda, you know, and suddenly it's this crazy high stakes Dread story that's also threaded through it. And again, mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's neither A nor B, it's both of them. And then, of course, they literally have the plot ping off of each element. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, it just ends up being like extraordinarily satisfying storytelling for so many reasons, you know, and um, not least of which are the expectations that Wagner and Grant have set up, not least of which are the expectations that it's like, yeah, we could kill that character and not even blink. And in fact, you know, as you alluded to, I think in the previous episode, Wagner and Grant part ways because Grant was insistent that Dread kill chopper yeah right? yeah so, it's it's okay should we just talk about oz because i feel like we're talking around us a lot yeah no i think do you i think talk about oz or do you want to talk about revolution until before we get on to oz it's tough because of course yeah mm-hmm. should we do revolution first just because revolution is the shorter of the stories yes so revolution is a sequel to letter from a democrat like yeah. fairly explicitly Yes. The plot is really simple. It's it's maybe four episodes and the plot is essentially in the wake of, of the 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 quote unquote terrorist attack, which was the pro democracy movement taking over the television station, they call on a pro democracy march. Yeah. And in public the judges say, you know, we think this is a bad idea. They, there's the great chilling line about, you know, democracy had its chance and it failed. Yes. Um but they can go ahead and, and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And then it immediately, the next page is Chief Judge Silver talking to Dredd and saying, like, this is the biggest threat we face since the Apocalypse War. And telling Dredd, on this you write the law. Yeah. Which is such a great 
it's it's such a great line of dialogue, first of all, but it's such a great line of dialogue because it shows how seriously they're taking this. Yes. They're literally saying there are no rules. Mm-hmm. Stop this no matter what you have to do. That's right. And then you see what they do for the next chapters and it's really fucking disturbing. Yeah, absolutely. It's really disturbing because it is essentially like they pull every trick to undermine the movement mm-hmm. uh, from like destroying people's reputations to making up fake scandals. Yeah. You know, which honestly right now in the, in the era of, you know, social media and, and, and Fox News and, and you know, the, the fake news and alternate facts and everything. Right. Like the, the bit about we have a photograph of you in a, in a Sov uh, army uniform. Right. And he's like, it's a costume party. And they're like, oh, they, how would we know? Like you're a traitor. Right. Like that really fucks me up mm-hmm. every single time. There's something about that that really, really disturbs me. But it, they they basically take out all the the leaders of the march with the exception of two, right? And then the march does go ahead, but it's significantly weakened. And they use like sound waves to make people feel more apathetic, so they leave the march and they just continually undermine it. Yeah, yep. Not not and least of which is the the role of the Wally Squad, uh, which is they have undercover infiltrators in the march who then you know provoke violent action. And then every, you know, and then the judges come in and, you know, and, and it is, it, it, it is very much as you, as you put it earlier and put it perfectly, the judges are waging a war of um, appearances, you know, and that is uh, watching them undermine every step of this and doing it in in a way that it really, um, you know, I, I I sort of scoffed at the return of Stan Lee, and honestly, it's a it's a there's some really lovely work by Barry Kitson. You know, it's a far more of a loving homage to the Paul Galassi Master of Kung Fu books than I think the first one was. But even that story, which is a disposable throwaway. Like it has dread literally fighting and defeating the martial artist in front of television cameras. And then afterwards, the chief judge is like, why did you do this? Was this, you know, was this for your is pride? This your ego? Yeah. And he's like, it's got nothing to do with it. I have to show them that no one can beat a judge. And, and the judge goes, good. You know, so that idea of how things appear in the media and the press are very much in Wagner and Grant's mind. And as you put it, that, too, ends up being threaded significantly into Oz. There's a huge amount of Chopper has power for the people and how that power where that what that what that power gives you and what you're able to do is is really fucking fascinating stuff you mm-hmm. you were right mm-hmm. to call it a sports comic but one of the things that i appreciate about wagner and grant is i do think that they those seem like two dudes who like hanging out in the pub watching sports you know and and what's great about it is is they bring a pretty measured eye to 
what makes sports exciting and also what makes them important. And, and some of what makes sports important is the idea that these are, that these are people whose physical achievements can seem to put them above the rules of society or above the law. And, um, it, or rather that there is so much attention being paid to them that part of what keeps tripping dread up in Oz, which is wonderful and a real relief I'm realizing after looking at revolution is dread can't just be quote unquote dread. He is aware that he is an emissary for the judge system and the justice system and that that means, you know, if the Australian judges tell him to stand down, he has to. And when also alternatively, when Chopper escapes prison and is in Mega City One and is uh, like, you feel that threat. You are aware that in the same way, the judges that we've seen throughout this volume have to stamp him out. They have to do everything like everything in this volume helps create uh, the stakes for Oz. And yes, and, and that very much includes what's happening here at the corner at the core of revolution. The The thing that I love about revolution is, is that Wagner and Grant clearly did their research or at least had were, you know, well read enough to know about the suppression of the student movements in the sixties and how those sixties and seventies and how those things played out. I really do hope that somewhere down the line, there is a um, judge dread story. That is a good four or five part story about how to successfully stage an insurgency. Cause this one is so good about as an instruction manual for how to undermine a movement. It's, it's chilling. It's, it's, hopeful in a way in the sense of reading this story like you said it's so um i don't know it's 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 hard not to look at look at having read it during a week where the bernie sanders and elizabeth warren fans are are in the process of tearing one another to shreds when two weeks ago you would have considered them each other's best chance for you know having a, a strong, solid two candidate mm -hmm. ticket is, you know, when people start saying like, oh, some this is rat fuckery, like someone clearly planted something to turn, you know, set the two sides against each other. You know, it makes a lot of sense after reading something like Revolution, where where the judges take an old man and literally keep him on his feet all night and awake for 24 hours so that when he starts marching, he's he's at the limits of his physical endurance. You know, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. so brutal well, uh, and cruel. I, but also seeing what the judges say publicly in Revolution. Yes. It is, is so instructive because, yeah. I mean, obviously this is happening in the climate of Thatcher in the UK. Yes. Right. And so you've had the minor struck. You're about to have the poll tax riots. You know, there there's, there is... Uh, there is political unrest. There have been movements that have been, you know, utterly crushed by the Tories at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously also some Orwell 
at play here as well. Oh, completely, yeah. You know, like very, very clearly. Mm -hmm. But it's also impossible to read Revolution now and not see today in it. Mm -hmm. Do you not think? Like when you have the judges entirely manipulate the situation to destroy and undermine this movement. Yes. And then for Silver to to broadcast against my better judgment, I allowed today's march to go ahead. If the disgusting incidents we witnessed are an example of democracy at work, then I trust every one of you has learned a valuable lesson. That's right. You know, it's it's the the mock outrage yeah. at, at the circumstances they themselves created that yes. we know as yeah. as readers. Right. That like they themselves created and then for them to to claim this moral high ground. Like it's impossible for me not to read that and be like, oh shit, yes. Oh, okay, completely. I like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they were they were they were predicting today. Yeah. And again they, they weren't. They're they're literally responding to what's happening then. Well, There's yes. history. There was you know but it's so appropriate now. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. I mean one of the things that is sad to me is I sort of I sort of want to believe that it it's more true today at least in America than it was then. And that's I mean that's foolishness cuz the the propaganda machine was was so heavily in charge under Reagan for rewriting history and erasing accomplishments and you know letting the history of protests and um you know really be smeared and tarnished even while at the same time you know there are historical studies being done and we you know are finding out like because i i went to san francisco state in the early 80s and there were teachers there who had been student protesters back in the 60s a lot of them, unsurprisingly, made it an area, a topic of study for them. And so, you know, I, I, for myself, a guy who went to a state university where our student union was literally designed, like it, there was supposed to be a new student union put in and it was going to be this like uh, basically a grassy hill that would have had like eco hexagons inside you know lit from skylights from within and it ended up that plan got vetoed by you know the board of commissioners and what they ended up designing what they the the thing that they built instead was this masterpiece of isolationist um you know architecture where people literally couldn't gather in certain areas and the places where they could gather were all watched over by balconies where you could put snipers. Like, you know, the, when the, the protests were at their highest, they had, you know, historical documents that came out where it was something like four out of every 20 protesters was an undercover police agent, you know, and, and trying again, to sow like, discord. You, yeah. You say that and then you look at the story and one of the things they show you yes. is... During the during the march, mm-hmm. the number of of uh, undercover cops, the number of Wally Squad judges. That's right. There, and that that to have the you know the wonderful family man mm-hmm. code word. 
Yes. You know? Right. Yeah. And that one in particular, I'm like, okay, that's got to be historically accurate. I'm just so sure of that. You know, it's like, oh, don't, don't, I'm a, I'm a family man. And they know to stand down all that shit. I'm like, these guys, these guys were doing the reading of the stuff that was coming out of the stuff that had already happened. And that's the, that's, you know, you mentioned Orwell and it's, it's a good point. Orwell's 1984 was him talking about the shit going on in 1948. And he openly talks about how people in power make need to perpetuate power and how they do it is by controlling our perceptions of reality. And that is all here and it's depressing and it's amazing. And it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that is, it's not just a stunning achievement that it was published. It's a stunning achievement that it was published. And then they're like, yeah, okay. So on to the next, um, you know, this artist said that he needs to deduct the price of a, the mad ball that he bought for his kid on his taxes. Um, you know, how are we going to do that? Oh, I know, you know, um, don't worry, Liam Sharp will create a new supervillain. You know, it's, that's amazing to me. Like, yes. I, I yeah. mean, it, you know, it genuine, like, it, like revolution, doing revolution and then revolution just being like a pit stop. Like revolution isn't even the biggest story in this volume. Right. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it, it is, it is a masterful achievement, but I just, it is, it is stunning. It's like, I can't, you know, anyone who's listened to us for, all the the 11 or 12 episodes, I guess this is our 12th episode of Drock, you know, it's, I try to avoid um, the comparisons, but like, imagine that there was a fucking Batman story where you show him beating up poor people. And then later he and Commissioner Gordon, you know, as they go off to jail, talk about the necessity of doing that to protect the assets of the rich. You know, sure. like, like, but like beating up poor people is like the least of it. Yeah. You know, it's planting evidence. Right. Uh, no, exactly. Because, like you know, in revolution, they do everything. Yeah. When Silver says you write the law, they don't back away from that. Mm-hmm. The judges do every. The judges ruin people's reputation. They ruin people's lives. Yes. Just Absolutely. so this thing doesn't go ahead. And not the just judges the judges. They put front and center in it too mm-hmm. on every page he does not yeah, he's escape that charge yes yeah absolutely yeah. like it's dread's idea dread is very happy to be like what are you doing you're going to basically destroy this man it but leave him alive sure go ahead yeah this march can happen yep yeah no apps absolutely and there is uh i think what it is it cannot be sort of understated as an achievement in you know commercial fiction featuring a serialized hero to have them literally come all the way around and here we are 11 volumes in they are they're they're explicitly explaining how fascism works the hero is a fascist and and more than that, what's the astounding achievement is because it's happening 11 volumes in, you understand how that character still sees themselves as a hero. They, you know, and that is, that is stunning. 
That's a stunning achievement. And then it, it was funny because the next couple of stories, I really did have a, I, I mean, part of why Alabama blimps kind of hits at the, you know, belly flops. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Belly flops the way that it does is like, like, I'm like, I'm not vested in dread. Like, you know, even the idea that it's like, oh, he's bad, but these guys are worse is like, these guys are just dumb caricatures. You know, the, the whole thing, like when, when dread then shows, shows, uh, Stan Lee, who's boss, you're like, Stan Lee is horrible. I don't really feel as horrible about him as I do about, you know, like you get that, you get a couple of these stories and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just the evil versus the inept. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's no surprise that I ran gratefully into the arms of Oz. And then of course I, which, it ends up being amazing. Yeah. So, but also Oz is, is in very very many ways like a combination of this yeah because you have been primed to be like the judges the bad guys and then you comment the story where the judges are the bad guys yeah like the story is unambiguous chopper is a folk hero chopper is the good guy yeah and the strip even like what's great about oz is dread is literally absent for his his own strip Mm -hmm. for stretches of oz Mm mm-hmm like not just pages for episodes. Yeah, there's like three episodes where there's no dread, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which which again is um, which makes it work all the better. Like not only was I ready for a breather from dread, but um, you know, then when dread starts coming back in, you're like, oh, okay. And also, in a way, the what's nice is by that point. And based on the other appearances, like, you know that that Dread and Chopper's fates in this story are going to be intertwined. So we should get to us. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we should, yeah. we should start us. Indeed. I love it. I it's, love right? it. It's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. It's it. You mentioned before, like, it feels like a return to the cursed earth. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is and isn't. It feels like it's taking the lessons from the other mega epics. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's realized that it can do two stories. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one continuous narrative. Right. Uh, it's like Cursed Earth in that it's like there is an overarching narrative of Chopper's story. But that's lots of small stories as well. Yes. So like, you know, there is, as you said, the astonishingly offensive Mexican uh, <sighs> mutants. Which, I mean, holy shit. But at the same time, the art in that chapter is fucking stunning. Like, yeah. holy shit, Brenda McCarthy. But... But there's that. There's the Treasure Island thing, like you talk about. You know, there, there, uh, there's elements. Like mm-hmm. on, Chopper's journey is, is lots of small vignettes before he get before he gets to Australia, right? Uh, and even then, like you get you get Chopper's escape before that. You get Chopper's uh, mm-hmm. journey to, uh, to Australia. Then you get the Super Surf itself, right? Yeah. But you also have like this entirely separate subplot, which isn't entirely separate of the Judda. Yeah. And uh, uh, which leads, which is what really leads Dread to Australia. Mm-hmm. And he uses Chopper as a cover mm-hmm. to go. You know, like there, there. It's it's really good. It's really smart. Yes, the thing is wonderful. It doesn't fucking let up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but you get them realize also that Dread. Not only does Dread not have to be front and center, Dread can leave the story. Right, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like you, they write dread out of stretches of the strip. Yeah, there's there's a lot of episodes where dread appears as a cameo. Yeah, again, he'll yeah, two panels of dread just showing up and being like, he'll never make it. Right, cut back to Chopper. Right, you know, it's 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 great. It it pays off to some degree the what's been happening in this trip for the you know for the previous part of this volume mm-hmm. to the point where you even get the judges or dread at least realizing when they can't do anything mm-hmm. and like a sort of weird panic you know there's the television interview where, where they're arresting the running of chopper's friends yeah but chopper's not in, not in mexican anymore so they can't do anything mm-hmm. and there's a television interview and they're like what are we doing and he's like nothing because he's, he's just gonna die anyway right you know, and there's something great about that because you can feel the desperation. Yes. Where they're like, play it down. It's not a story. Yeah. Like, we, we don't need to do anything. It's not a story. It's fine. So I think, uh, as you allude to, um, one of the things that also is great is Chopper fights his way all the way to Australia, makes it there, you know, is greeted as a hero, and immediately Dread shows up, tries to arrest him. Uh, Bruce and the other Australian judges arrest him, take his weapon away. And, you know, it's like, we can't let you take Chopper. And, you know, you take Chopper, we've got a full-scale riot on our hands, plus no preserve. Can't let that happen. I'm putting you in protective detection until it's over. And that little panel of, this is incredible, Judge Dredd himself is being placed under arrest, feels... uh, there is the meta of from revolution where dread has we see him go too far like yes. there is no reader that's going to walk away from revolution being like well yeah that's that's right that's okay you know and so the moments of seeing dread be arrested you know being stripped of his gun and and being like okay you're, you know, we're throwing you in jail is a, this sort of great narrative irony, but it, it feels right to the reader, which is why when the judges show up to um, take dread and you realize that it was all to trap them feels like it's a beautiful narrative fate because Mm -hmm. It's it's not just giving the Jutta what they want and they fall for it. It's giving the reader what you want and then you fall for it, right? So it's just it's just ah uh, the the level of storytelling smarts going on throughout um, is just fabulous to me. Like I just it it. The other thing that is great is when um, we first see Chopper and he's in prison, the narration that he has is absolutely 100% consistent. The caption narration is 100% the same, or at least it feels the same, as it was during Chopper's last appearance. And so the heavy narrative, and even better, the heavy narrative captions of Chopper's journey like perfectly transition into the captions, the caption storytelling, the sports like reportage of what's happening during Sky Surf. 
which is the same tone that was used in the previous Sky Surf. So again, not only are Wagner and Grant able to pick up a character from three years ago and just be like, okay, and now here's the story that we're telling, but they're also doing it in a way that it just feels seamless and continuous, which I think helps add to the feeling of you know, that kind of world building of like Dread is just one character in the world of Judge Dread. And when, you know, we see those those stories are told from a kind of, you know, after eleven years, sort of a kaleidoscope, a shifting kaleidoscope of viewpoints. And then wonderfully enough, when you have Chopper step in, it can become his story Dread can sort of be the antagonist. And then just when you think he's going to be the antagonist, then you get the whole thing with the judges and the Jedda. And it is simultaneously a Dread story, but it's not, you know, it's, it's just, I, I feel like I'm just repeating myself by babbling about how great it is. So Graham, do you have, but it is, it's, it's such an amazing, amazing story. Yeah. And as I said before, one of the things I really like about it is, for me, it's the start of Dread breaking away from the becoming an individual, breaking away from the groupthink of of the 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 Justice Department. But is it? But, I mean, it is what's again, in here. I don't, I yeah. don't know if it is because okay. again, I'm looking at it from I know where Dread goes in the next few years. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm reading a lot into this. Mm-hmm. A lot. And this is actually something I really wanted to talk to you about. Right. <laughs> because they make no secret of the fact that Dread respects Chopper. Right. Right? They're, they're like, that is, is at first sort of understated in his responses to what's going on. But when Dread, when Dread hears that Chopper is, is alive and when he's here in Australia, like, there's actually a caption. That's like, Dread can't hide his admiration for the fact that he made it. And then after the race, Dread says to Chopper, like, I, was, I, I wanted you to win. Right. Uh, which you and I both took as, as, as valid, as, as like, he, you know, he meant it. In, in yeah. large part because why would he not say it? Like, it's Dread. He's right. not one for, like, you're caring, giving a shit about your feelings. Right. You know? He's not going to be polite like that if he doesn't mean it. Yes. Um, but... Beyond that, there's the there is the end where Dread doesn't shoot Chopper, mm-hmm. right? And there's the get out clause of sure Jug hits him, mm-hmm. okay? But Dread hesitates a long time. There's an entire page of Dread giving Chopper like last multiple last warnings, right? Which Dread doesn't do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He does. Dread just fucking shoots people. Mm-hmm. And immediately as soon as uh, Jog hits him, he's right on top of Jog and he's, he's you know, threatening him. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got in my way, I'm going to take care of you. And then Bruce is like, okay, fine, fuck you, you're leaving. And he's like, no, I'm going to get you. And you realize how passive Dread has become in this story when it comes to Chopper. Right. He has multiple opportunities where he could have taken Chopper. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, he didn't want to. Well, he didn't want to get to this. uh, He didn't want to have the confrontation. Yeah, that's I think that's true. But I also think to me that is that is dread. 
at every because you have not just one but multiple scenes where people are like why you know uh, essentially you've given him a ultimatum you know he's just going to cut out of the race and run and dreads like no that's not who this guy is one of the things that that this guy that chopper has earned from dread which is so unique is that like you said that admiration and that respect um but yeah honestly it's very there are very few people that dread respects right so it's it's pretty crucial that at every point you see him he is saying no no he will be there no he's going to be here but by the same token like i feel and maybe that you know it's dreads natural can't help himself about sticking it in but you know when he says shame i was rooting for you and he says still makes my job easier your yesterday's news now nobody's going to give a damn about what happened to you and you see that and you see it. You see he's right yeah. yeah you see that he's right and he's like i'm calling on you to surrender you know um and it, when he's like, no, that's not going to happen, it's like, then you face the consequences. There's enough of a, how do I put it? Like, he is telling Chopper that he will pull the trigger. He will kill him, that there is no out there in a very elliptical and slightly bullying dread-esque way of like nobody cares about you when you're a loser no one cares about you sure now. yes yes i yes. can kill you with impunity and like you said he does do a but lot again, of how much of that is genuine how much is that is him talking himself into it mm, that's the thing i right. think there's i think there is an ambiguity there yeah, I think that's And true. I think the ambiguity is really important because yes. when have we ever seen that in Dread before? Ever. Well, I, it's like, hard. Yeah, no, no. Brother, and sure, that was literally 11 years ago. It was, for all intents and purposes, a different character. Right. But we've never seen this ambiguity in Dread before. Yeah. We've never seen him essentially will someone to give up because yeah. he doesn't want to do the job. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think that's, that's incredibly important. And I think that's really important when it comes to where Dread is going. Right. Right? Because within uh, – I'm trying to think of the number of volumes. Within four years, mm -hmm. Dread is going to suggest that there should be a, that there should be a uh, vote about, on democracy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Right? Right. And a lot of, don't get me wrong, a lot of things happen between now and then. Right. But still, this is the first time for me that Dread questions the system. Mm. No, no, it's not true. It's the first time that Dread questions the system and dares to have an opinion. And he can't trust the opinion. He ultimately still would have tried to shoot Chopper. I believe that. Yeah. I'm not sure he would have tried really hard. But I think that if Jug hadn't flown into him, right, there would have been a shot, right. You know, you know it, but I, like he gives he gives uh, uh, Chopper a lot of chances. That could be. I mean, I uh, yes, I think you're right. I'm I'm being fussy about it because I think I I think it is. I think it's one of those realms that 
that is lent to with ambiguity, but certainly considering this is where Wagner and Grant decide to part ways on writing Dread together. And after this, it's going to be, you know, Wagner. Wagner yeah, yeah. Yeah. That it's, that it's clear, you know, that to me, it was kind of, I very much saw it and perhaps too didactically as, you know, Grant's like, Chopper has to die. Dreads, you know, would. Dread, would, dread has, yeah. Dread has to shoot judges him. Judges the villain. Yeah. yeah. And dread has to shoot him. Right. He does. Yeah. And I saw it more, well, more in the sense of Chopper has to die and um, seen it, seen the, seen it framed that way. And, and Wagner being very much, no, I have plans for this character or no, I like this character. I like, I know there's still things to do with him. You know, it's yeah, who knows. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he was in a way talking about dread. You know, because well, the, the, but the other thing is, for me, even the presence of that ambiguity, yeah, is in itself important. Is well, a signifier. Sure, I you know, uh, yeah. I I mean, I I I, I can't help. And again, right. I don't know how much this is coming from. Like, I know what's coming. Right, is coming from just like my selective reading. Right. But I feel that Dread really is surprisingly passive mm-hmm. in the last half of Oz. Mm-hmm. And it could be the Wagner Grant have decided to chop her story, which honestly, the, the evidence of the story kind of suggests that they had decided that. Yeah. Like, there really are. Like, Chopper appears in Oz much more than Dreads does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Much more. Mm-hmm. It is Chopper's story far more than it's Dreads. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. But for me, there's also the possibility that Dread is being passive and unusually passive. Right. And that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dread is being passive because he doesn't really want to do the thing that he knows he has to do. Right. And his heart's not in it. And that alone is fascinating. Sure. Because <laughs> you, the Dread's heart, couldn't be in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And again, I... I don't know how much of this was in Wagner and Grant's minds, or at least Wagner's. Well, so you know? let me fl- let me flip it around, Graham. Why would Dread think that it's not? Why would he have second what, thoughts about Chopper apart from the fact that you know that like how do I put it? Chopper is awesome, and Dread doesn't want to doesn't want to shoot chopper because chopper's awesome but it's not that it's how do i put it it doesn't feel to me it's not as if chopper is uh uh, like the people of revolution you know what i mean that he's not by the the, as as dread points out by dint of chopper losing he doesn't have any power anymore Okay, but I don't think that's why Dredd feels that way about Chopper. Mm-hmm. I think Dredd respects Chopper. Yes, absolutely. And might have felt that what's the problem with Chopper being in Australia? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, he's out of my hair. He's not, he's not my problem anymore. Mm-hmm. And I respect him. Mm-hmm. And given what else is in this volume explicitly the stan lee story Mm -hmm. 
I think there's an element of macho bullshit in there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, because I respect him, <laughs> mm-hmm. then that's enough. But, uh, okay. I mean, to me, that seems, I guess I see what you're saying, is, is that essentially it's not as if J- Dread is, he essentially, he is just doing, he's refusing to do something because he doesn't want to do it, which is a huge step forward for yes, Dredd. Yes, yeah, yeah. But again, it's not, even, it's not even that he refuses to do it, because ultimately I think he would have done it. Well, yes, right? but like you said, he I, I, hesitates it's, it's that in there that is, it's, it's that there's the hesitation. Yeah. It's right. that there is the – I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this, that Chopper has passed some completely random, this man has value, this man is worthy. Right tests in dread's macho bullshit mind Mm -hmm. in the same way that honestly i think if stan lee had beaten dread Mm -hmm. he might have had similar thoughts right 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 Mm -hmm. um especially if again stan lee was not in mega city one if Mm -hmm. if all of us had happened in mega city one right i think he still could have convinced himself well i'm taking care of the city right but it's not even that defense here yes chopper's in another fucking country yeah right no, right. he is already, for all intents and purposes, dead. So there is no reason for him, for, for Dredd, to actually shoot him, except Dredd knows that he has to because he can't let him get away. I don't, I don't know. I, Graham, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I, of course, being Mr. Meta, uh, very much to a fault, think that the, that the struggle is about what the what the writers are trying to say about the world, about what happens in the world, I suppose. And uh, as opposed to necessarily what's happening about Dredd. But I think that, of course, since the strip's called Judge Dredd, it makes sense that this would be... I have to say that it is, um, to me, I think very crazily understated. Like, to, to put it mildly just about any other uh, set of writers working with those intentions, you know, comics being comics would have hung nine lanterns on it and people still would have applauded them for being subtle and nuanced, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think there's a way in which it's kind of amazing that how subtle dread is for a strip that is not subtle. Yes. Like there's so much in Oz that is understated. What? And Dread is like, you know, Dread is the strip where, you know, in the, the, the first part of this book, even, mm-hmm. you have like the simp story. Yes. Right. Right. You no. Know? Yeah. Which is like the most unsubtle. Yes. Well, and I you think. Know? I, but, but you get to, you get to Oz. And again, there's lots in Oz that isn't subtle either. Right. right. I mean, all the, all the like Chuck McKenzie jokes, all the Australian jokes. Yes. Although I do love the New Zealand one and love the fact that there's an editor's not apologizing for the New Zealand yeah, joke. That, that was great. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. but there's still I don't know, there's still something really subtle in Oz. Uh and something subtle in Dread's development. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, no, I I I am inclined to agree. I somewhat reluctantly. It's interesting because I am aware that I don't it it sort of in the, the same way that that Wagner and Grant have essentially 
kind of flipped the script on us so many times throughout the volumes in terms of like, oh, it's a tragic strip. Now it's a comedy strip. Now it's an adventure strip. Throughout all of that, I have to say that that Dread himself is not what I think of as, you know, a person. Like the idea that there is a person under there and it is being conceived of as a person. Like Dread is Dread's a person the way that uh, you know, a character in a movie is a person, as opposed to maybe yeah. the way a character in literature is a person. You know what I mean? And so the idea that you make that transition, or I guess even a way would be the the way that characters in movies are as opposed to the way that characters in prestige tv are more often. Well, yeah no i mean you know? it's it's fair it's fair to say that mm-hmm. dread is uh or at least has been maybe through like the last volume at least mm-hmm. a cartoon character yeah and like and that has been his appeal mm-hmm. right? right his appeal is there is no moral ambiguity right. he does his job he is his job he right. is the law right is a is uh, something that works on multiple levels. Yes, because it's not just that he personifies the law; it's that he sees nothing outside of himself but serving the law. Right. Like the law is him. That's it. Yes. But pretty soon you're going to see. I mean, not a lot outside of that because dread evolves really fucking slowly, mm-hmm. like astonishingly slowly. Mm-hmm. That's part of his appeal. Right. You know, you'll you'll actually start to see other characters comment on that first. Mm-hmm. It's like let let you know that you know. The writers are capable of more, mm-hmm. even if Dread isn't, mm-hmm. for want of a better way of putting it. Mm. But at the same time, they diverge. They do start to diverge. Where Dread sees the flaws, where Dread sees that the system is—he can't quite—he can never quite bring himself to see the system as unjust. Mm-hmm. But he can bring himself to see the system as flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but that in itself is a massive switch. From where he had been, you know, again, two volumes ago from where we are right now. Mm-hmm. But I do think, I think, I think it's there. I mm-hmm. think Dread goes from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that this, this volume's where it starts. Well, the, um, I am, uh, I, I absolutely am excited to see that play out in later volumes I think that it is for myself as a reader, although admittedly a sloppy reader. Um, I, I'm glad that you had the time to make the case and made it well, because I was just like, no, uh, uh-uh, uh, not, not. So, no, what, no. Did you, so how did you take the end of the story then? Well, to me, again, I'm reading it like in a very particular and honestly biased way. Right. To me, dread is again. It's the. It's it's almost a variation on the Western showdown. You know, you've got your immovable object, uh, uh, which is in I guess in this particular case is Chopper, who's not going back to to um, prison, and you've got this irresistible force, which is Dread, who's not going to not do his duty. My apologies for the double negative, but he's going to do it. So. There is, and I just want to say, like, I don't know to what level the scripting of Wagner and Grant have going on here, but I adore the three-page showdown sequence 
where, you know, Dread is literally this. It starts with Dread, like saying, like, I was rooting for you. Like, nobody's going to give a damn what happens to you. And, uh, you know, somebody back in Mega City one takes the TV and throws it out the window. And then it it becomes intercut. You know, you literally see the TV falling. You cut back to Dread. You know, Chopper turns away. You cut back to the TV. You know, you see Dread lift his gun. And then you see, uh, to me, what feels like just a brilliant sequence by, uh, if it's not conceived by Jim Bakey or Bikey, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, sadly, because I'm a bozo and I, I did look online and couldn't find it. Um, Bikey's execution of it is just stunning as the moments of time you know as you can get away with in in the comics page simultaneously slow down and speed up you get a close-up shot of chopper's eye followed by a close-up shot of dread's hand holding the gun on chopper as seen through the tv set and then seen again from you know the point of view just practically next to adjacent to Dredd's gun. You see the close up on Dredd's mouth, his finger on the trigger. You see that then the TV crashes to the ground. You see Dredd being knocked to the ground by Jug. And then you see uh, Dredd saying like, damn, he's gone. And it's such a abstract at that point it's literally you know reflected in the eye of dread's helmet and dread's design is broken down to and that's that is part of it for me like i can see it various ways you know but part of me is like you have damn he's gone being said in a panel that is from dread's point of view and there's no there's no human there there's nothing recognizable there. It's drawn from the point of view of the helmet. It's drawn from the point of view of the law, you know? And to me, like, maybe that's a, you know, an, a recompensation that you see Dredd get up. And it's true. He's angry and he's more or less yelling at everyone to arrest everyone. And Bruce basically yells right back at him and, and kicks him out of there. So, you know, maybe at that point, Dredd's acting out against everyone else. But to me, what it ends up being is is the larger sense of the, the interconnected events, the television falling, you know, intercut with Dredd pointing his gun at Chopper is there's... <laughs> To me, it very much breaks down to, and this this is kind of my own limitations as a reader, is, is that at a certain level, writers, I feel, can't really, if, if they're if they're good and they're around long enough, they're not, they can't really talk about what the world is like. What they can do is talk about what they think the world is like. You know what I mean? So... They're the belief system of Wagner and Grant, which is simpatico for all these many years, pulls apart. In part, that is a, you know, Grant saying not just like this is what has to happen, you know, 
Dread would pull the trigger, but the extra step of like Chopper has to die because that is Grant's view of the world. Like it's funny, but it's very, very fatalistic. And I think Wagner at this point is like, you know what? The world's a mostly fucked up place, but you can't. Sometimes good things happen. You can't rule them out. You can't rule out grace. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and it strikes me then that his point is sort of a larger one about to the extent that, that ch- what Chopper has undergone has allowed him to earn grace, not from dread, but more from the world. Yes. Seems to I, me sort of uh, ties it back into the sort of more naturalistic writer viewpoint, you know. It sounds like an odd thing to say, considering what Wagner has written. And, and honestly, that he is the writer behind Dread, who is, is such a... a um, uh, I don't want to say cruel, but like a, a emotionless character, and mm-hmm. and it's the face of of this fascist system. But I do wonder if the 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 point of of break about dread shooting or not shooting Chopper ultimately comes down to Wagner being unable to do that after Chopper has lost. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like if that feels too cruel to the reader. Right. In a really strange way that, you know, had Chopper won, mm-hmm. I think dread shooting him might have happened. Well, you, you know? know, the funny but, thing but the idea, is... But the idea yeah. of both together right. feels feels too bad. Like, right. like genuinely, like, a problem. Um, in, in a way, I think, and this may be... You know, the the two other pieces that I should say, one thing I realized in the course of us talking about it is because this volume very much is about the judge's awareness of the importance of appearance, um, just as it is in the real world. If Chopper had won, you kind of can't see how Dredd could have shot him. As Dredd points out, it's like, well, it makes life easier it makes things simpler that you lost you know and he's right if chopper had won you know at that point dread's kind of looking more or less at another apocalypse war choice of if i kill this guy i've essentially given a bunch of pissed off people who've already thought about democracy a genuine market. Yeah, I really, re- I re- yeah, I've given them a reason to actually have an uprising. You mentioned democracy war to- completely just reminded me. By the way, yes. Dread nukes another country. In oh God, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Rock. yeah, that's it's right. Just, it's so like it's it's funny. It's obviously not funny, but it's hilarious at the yeah. same time. Yes, that like the mega epics that we love sees dread nuke cities yes absolutely which is, is like oh, okay sure or not cities countries i should say yeah and my other point if if you don't mind i'll slide this in yeah. is also the idea to keep in mind is for me is is that sometimes the you know there's a mistake of mistaking the the i want to say the map for the territory but essentially um mistaking one's 
writerly values for one's personal values, which is to say that, you know, Grant might have been the person for whom his red hot emotionality is. Dred's got to kill Chopper. That's kind of the whole end game of what we've been moving toward here and is showing in this reversal and Wagner kind of being like, uh, it's kind of game over at that point, you know, like this by having dread, not shoot chopper. There's a little bit of a, like you said, that idea that the dread will be on a slow evolution of a character is something that for a guy who like is into writing this character is kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I necessarily want to narratively dead end it by having dread. Now, who knows? Maybe it would have been some other way that they would have like that incident, like his regret over killing someone might've actually been the slow stirring thing. But I think, I think for Wagner, he's, it could well be, Although I want to say, like, yes, this is his belief about the concepts of grace in the world. It could just be that he's like, there's way more opportunities if these two characters stay alive. And I'm not like some, you know, again, I'm not like the American comics where every single character that has, uh, you know, appeared in a comic is still around 10 years later. There's not that many. These are the guys that I'm keeping until I can, until I myself decide that, like, okay, it's time, you know, like yeah. w- when I take Chopper out, it's going to be when I know that it's right where he's reached the end of the path. Being able to look at him and be like, he's not done yet, and and the extension of looking at Dread and being like, he's not done yet is, you know, it it may just be something as simple as like, hey, Papa's got to eat and he can't kill the cash cow. You know, what's what's funny is Chopper doesn't come back to Dread. Mm. Like Chopper goes and has spinoff series now. Right. Well, but was it 85 when or 84 when they were looking into spinning off the, you know, a yeah, lot no, of that's 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 been and gone. The yeah. Dread Fortnite they were planning was was way before this. Right. Right, like a long time, like maybe four years before this. Yeah, and the magazine doesn't come along for like another three years. Right, right. Uh, and oh, and also I should say, like Wagner's two Chopper solo series are in two thousand eight. Mm. Not in the magazine. Not in the magazine. Right. Although Anderson's uh, stuff goes over into the magazine, right? To yes. na- name yeah. another character that Wagner yes. is also fond of preserving. Although, although back. yeah, Grant takes over the the Grant does the Anderson strip. Oh, does he? After- but, oh, yeah, okay. Grant just answered strip after the split. Yeah, it's just it's I don't. It's weird. I should. Can we talk about the fact that Chopper loses? Yes, because I love that Chopper loses. I do too. I do too. It, Chopper winning would have been wrong on some level that I can't quite articulate. Yeah, Chopper going through all of that and losing. Right. I I think it's, it is really great. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> And I think that's it. Part of me is already like, again, that's that's enough of the world of dread. You know what I mean? Like that is a that's enough of a like, hey, you know, because there's also a little bit of the I do love the fact that the the guy, you know, is in Australia. He's on the wrong board 
and he's kind of fucking up and he's kind of, and it says like, he's not fully recovered from his thing across the seas. He's still tired. And so in a way, the triumph is that he almost wins. Like it's a, it's practically a photo finish. Um, and you see him do so much brilliant stuff, but seeing him do all that brilliant stuff and losing is, how do I put it? It's again, to me, a sign that Wagner and Grant watch sports rather than read sports comics. You know what I mean? Like, cause that is the inevitability. Sometimes the better, sometimes the better man doesn't win. Sometimes the better man, you know, is, you know, one of the things that's hilarious is the way that they have a jug, like, you know, he's the greatest surfer the planet has ever seen. And one of the things that's really funny is they have him bursting out of, you know, Oz. Like, he literally ends up taking over the story <laughs> logo that they've come up with for the 26-part story. Like, that's, it's so... Um, it's so great because Jock is terrible. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the other thing that's great is, is that even when he wins and thinks he's being gracious to uh, him, he's still being a prick. Like, which is why part of his whole, like, you know, having him be the one that, that supposedly, you know, stops Dredd from pulling the trigger is, is, um, is, is apt. It's just apt in a good way. Cause if nothing else, you're like, that character would do that. But yeah, no, the fact that the fact that Chopper loses and the thing that I also think is interesting is is that it is very much the one part where it goes a little far is kind of that like, oh, yeah, this, you know, everyone's like your shit, you know, essentially dreads like no one will care about you now. And part of me is kind of like, eh, I'm not really sure it works like that entirely. You know what I mean? Not for sports, but but I but, but I you're right. First of all, mm -hmm. but I also love the weird, um, I I don't know metaphor. Yes, tree yeah. of of the idea that Chopper loses, and like the fever breaks in Mega City One. Yes, and it's a fever that arguably has built over the volume. Yes, that's right? a, That's a brilliant way to put it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and the idea that like otherwise. It, like you said, like had Chopper won, mm -hmm. maybe there would have been revolution. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. certainly if he had won and then Dread turns around and shoots him, like by all means, you know. It it is uh there is a weird sense that you know, it, it would be wonderful to think that I want I do want to believe that that you know that the creators were like, yeah, this is the moment where, on the one hand, the status quo goes back to normal um, externally, but internally, it's where things really start changing for dread, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to the other way around where, you know, we would have we would have gotten democracy, but maybe Joe Dredd would have never had the chance to get a soul, you know, so. Yeah, it, it's it's such a it's and, and again. This is us just talking about like the end of the story. Yeah. Like Oz is such an amazing story. There's so much there. We haven't really talked about the Judda. Right. You know? Right. Which is 
which is is a I mean we talked about it earlier in our episode so but there is a, a the subplot about the essentially the person who was responsible for cloning and who wanted to clone or not clone genetically modify citizens of Mega City One so they wouldn't commit crime. Yes, and and how. There were a lot of people in the Justice Department, including the current chief judge, who supported that. Yes, yeah. You know, but you also, the great thing about the flashback to that is you get to see Fargo live up to this this mythical status of he's the voice of reason. Mm -hmm. And he realizes that's too far. Mm -hmm. You know, but knowing that Dredd is a clone of him, Mm -hmm. it, in a weird way, sort of pays off the idea that Dredd is, is separate to slash better than the other judges. Right. right. Because he comes from this guy. He is this guy. Right. He is he's Fargo reborn. Right. You know, and this will get more depth. I mean, fucking years down the line in the origin storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which isn't even in a case files yet. I might not be in a case files by the time we finish Drog. Wow. Like the origin of the, of the, the Justice Department and Fargo's role and Fargo's belief in the system is central to that story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and plays really strongly with dreads at that point incredibly conflicted belief in the system right seeing that get a start in us mm-hmm. is, is fascinating mm-hmm. to read but seeing the, like you said the judda as this like essentially the judge is slightly to the you know to the right yeah do you know what I mean? Like, they're pretty much the judges. They've just made this one different decision. Right. No, absolutely. But the individuals and their methods are not a million miles away. No, no, not at all. And that is the really wonderful thing of by the time that the Judda are openly talked about as being a cult, uh, you've realized that that is exactly the same with the judges you know the the, yeah. the judges are themselves a cult except instead of just believing in judd they believe in themselves they believe in the law you know and well although you want to believe in past volumes they would have been like and that's what makes them stand apart and that's what makes them better like after everything that we've seen in this volume yeah. That's one hundred percent not true. Yeah, exactly. the The fact is, is they're just, they're just for for lack of a better term, they're different, and there there is a little bit of the way in which they're the status quo change. You know, the way in which Judd is like, yeah, we'll just you know genetically modify the citizens so they can't commit crimes, is you know so barely different from the democracy squashing that you saw earlier that in which people are people have the free will to choose democracy under the judges it hasn't been you know genetically removed from them but but the ability to apprehend their own reality has and that is you know it it's it's a it's kind of a an it was a fun way to talk i guess about the difference differences in power between say a religious um expression as opposed to a a, an essentially bureaucratic expression i suppose um it was yeah i mean i that part's great but i also just i love all of chopper stuff like chopper when chopper gets 
over the wall and then he has to make his way all the way through the cursed earth and you get his adventures there i'm like this is great you know again horribly racist but incredibly well-drawn mexican adventure then there's that amazing the survivors episode which is just a an interim chapter which really does just have these sort of like crazy thematic issues you know like chopper basically sleeps on a beach you get to see all these little crabs get completely devoured and killed and in the end um you know chopper rescues one of them so that it can swim off and then get devoured you know it's it's a it's a it's a pretty fatalistic view of the world throughout the book and yet and yet that somehow only heightens the sense of adventure which again to me does make sense when you get to something like you know the, the treasure island uh you know chapters where you've suddenly you've got a mad cannibal robot which is just a mad cannibal robot it's, chef. Yeah. it's yeah. so good and that character is so creepy and so wonderful um and it just is it's it it's kind of that I did have that moment where it's like, oh yeah, it, there was that whole deeply dark fucked up type of element running through quote unquote boys adventure, like treasure Island or Huck Finn or something like that. That's, that is really at the, at the height of its game. Like part of me is like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, they just like 2000 AD, like, Get Oz, get it fully covered, and get it into those scholastic book fairs. You know, like let let this one, let this one warp the brains of more fourth graders. Oh, it, it, you know? it would warp the brains of people, and they'd, they'd be like, "Oh, I want to read more about Chopper." Like, are you going to read the subsequent <laughs> Chopper things? Do you want me to ruin them for you? Um, I'm not sure if I do want you to ruin them for me. Okay, in a way. okay, then I won't. Okay. I will say this: there's at least two Chopper collections now. Uh -huh. The first one has. Wagner's two follow-ups, and then a bunch by different writers. Right. One, the first one being Garth Ennis. Mm. I would highly recommend you only read the Wagner ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that. In particular, because you'll get to the end of the second Wagner one, and you'll be like, no one ever needed to do anything else with this character. Right. And I kind of wish that they hadn't. Yeah, no, Especially exactly. because, like, honestly, it's it's severe diminishing returns afterwards oh i i i i agree like when chopper goes off it's like the perfect ending here like and i think i've also mentioned i do i do wish chopper was a person of color i think whenever i just see him as kind of a jimmy olsen in a surf suit for lack of a better term i'm always like ah oh, really okay. oh yeah yeah it's yeah. like for what chopper ends up becoming mm-hmm uh, the visual design is, it, of the character is just it isn't deserving of him. Yeah, because yeah. Chopper ends up becoming a great character, like a genuinely great character. And if he was a person of color, I think that would be all the more resonant. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. So that that's 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 about as far as I have to go about Chopper. But yeah, no, it's a uh, damn fine stuff, Graham. Uh, so any other fine things you want to point out? I mean, I also want to say that the the big the big race when you do get this what i do love is it builds up to super surf and i can't tell you how much i feel like today's comic writers would squinch 
super surf down into like a four page sequence or something like that. The oh yeah, super super surf having like it's like four chapters. Yes, uh, it's is great. Yeah, like it's actually and also super surf being as brutal as it is. Yes, like a one page they kill off like seven people. A real early on, which is just yeah. it is that great thing of like oh my Christ, like this is horrible. And, you know, the sports announcers are yelling like, this is horrible and amazing. Holy shit. Half of them are out of the race and they're just through the first obstacle. It's the, like the sports. The sports announcers are great. I especially love the bit where they're like, this is a real cosmic surfing. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just. Oh, oh so good. So but no, good. It's, it's I mean, Oz is. Uh, I mean, you know, the Apocalypse War is clearly maybe one of the best, if not right. the best. Right. Like, Necropolis is probably my favorite, but you can really make an argument for Oz. <laughs> I Oz is, Oh, Oz, Oz being your favorite or being the best? Being the best or being up there. Uh-huh. Oh, definitely. I mean, for me, I think I would say, like, Apocalypse War, Day the Law died, and I think I would tie Cursed Earth and uh, and Oz to me, they're just and and technically, I think I'd have to give it to Oz. Like I love I love Cursed Earth because it's such a it's such a everything that I wanted in a comic book as a kid kind of way. Like it's kind of a it's a perfect comic somehow, despite it or because it's shit. You know, there's elements of shit in in the Cursed Earth, but but Oz is is sublime. It's really so it's read, perfect for everything that I it should does. tell you. I read Nas when I'm 13 years old. Oh my god! Right, and that's like cool. you imagine on weekly as well. As the yeah, other thing. yeah, which is terrific. I mean, that's just got to be such a great adventure. Like that's got to be so much fun. Do you, were you just like? Do you remember? I mean, do you remember your feelings when you were reading it? Like, were I didn't you... get half of it. If that makes sense, like yeah, there's no, so it totally much. Does. Uh, depth to Oz mm-hmm. that honestly like I just didn't fully understand like I enjoyed it on an adventure level right. I enjoyed it on a little chopper win level mm-hmm. the Judda stuff kind of left me kind of cold although I've got to say one of the sad things about the case files at this point mm-hmm. is that you can tell that the double page threads are painted oh I know and they look and it's they look and, like they would be beautiful yeah, yeah I was going to say in particular, Brendan McCarthy ones. It's mm-hmm. such a shame that those aren't in color. Yeah, because his double page reds were just fucking amazing in color. Yeah. Well, there's there's ah. some of the the one scene that looks like it's. I, I don't think it was Gary Leach, but the painted stuff where it's where choppers going over the wall or it's, whatever. It's Will Simpson, I think. Yeah, and it looks beautiful in color. It's like ah ha 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 ha. And then, of course, you turn the page and it's like, oh, well, that was nice while it lasted. It is shocking that it registers as for kids because, I don't know, like when you're a kid, you like you like pizza and you like hot dogs. And like, you know, Dread is a strip is such a crazy ass goulash of stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. You like pizza, you like hot dogs. You like, you know, existential threats to democracy that are played out as if the fascists have won. Yes. Like, how, exactly. Like, how do you process that? Right. I have the strangest feeling I read Letter from a Democrat really young. Wow. Like, really? And I did not get it. Well, yeah. You know? I mean, well, but, uh, like, I don't see, I don't know how you could, quote unquote, not get it without sort of, like, your brain just kind of 
putting it down and sort of deciding that it didn't exist. You know what I mean? And forgetting about it by the time next week comes along, you know? And maybe that was it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm just, I, I remember parts of the plot as in like, I, as if I read them when I was a kid. Right. Right. Well, I mean, there's also, I also think there's parts that just wouldn't have made sense to me. Sure. Sure. Plus, you know, like I literally, I literally might have been so dumb that I was like, Democrat, that's like, you know, whatever. Because so again, remember, uh, democracy is an abstract concept that when you are, I would have been 10 when that came out. Right. Like you're not really thinking about, and unlike the US where the Democrats is a political party. Right. That's not the case in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see that. I, also, I do want to say to to give you absolutely maximum benefit of the doubt, which you totally deserve um, you know, 2000 well, I, AD I, I, is a also, bunch of I, I, other I, I, stories. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I, you know, you're like, you're kind also, of, I might have been stupid. Well, no, but I mean, like I, 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 I could make the list of stuff. Like you said, when you're too young to, to read something like how you begin to process or not process something like it, it, it I'm being overly confrontational. Like there's shit that I read or looked at where I'm like, thinking about the ways in which certain types of fiction upset me when I was a kid, I'm would find it hard to believe that it wouldn't be like, I remember being upset by like the ending of saga of swamp thing 25 when I didn't think that it was, didn't know it was a two part story. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? The bad guy just wins. What the, what the fuck happened here? You know, the, the relief, which with which I was like, Oh, oh, there's another part. Okay, thank oh, God. Yeah. It's not oh, it just... Yeah. yeah, you know, so I, you know, for me, it's just my, you know, uh, please ig- ignore my secret belief that absolutely everyone reacts like me at every possible point that I react. So, you know, the ways in which I would have gotten upset, I can also see people, like you said, it's like, it's, it's not that you were dumb. It was just kind of like either something went over your head or there was just kind of like, there's some basic operating assumptions that you have when you're a kid, you're like, huh? Okay. I guess I really don't understand what kind of terrorist threat they were talking about. So sort of the the way that we were, I talk about like Marvel subplots, Marvel romantic subplots where I'm like, Oh, these are amazing, well-drawn romantic relationships that have totally explained why these characters are together. And then you read all the issues and it's like, no, they basically tell each other they love each other in like one issue. And then two issues later, they're talking about like they're going to be married. And then the third issue, they're torn apart because somebody else, you know, like Cyclops and Jean Grey, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure this was totally laid out in the first 97 issues of X-Men. And you're like, mm, eh, not really. They liked each other, you know. Yeah, yeah. To say nothing of the fact that, again, there's three other comic strips, you know, and if you're reading oh, it four. when you're super young. Is, you're right, sorry. Yeah, 2000 is five, five strips. Five every, strips, every right? So it's like, it doesn't make sense. And then the next series, you've got, you know, Strontium Dog shooting mutants. You're like... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, for all for all that I wouldn't have understood or, or like, properly comprehended, led from a Democrat when I was a kid. Right. Like, for all you know, like, the next thing was Ace Trucking Company, which I fucking loved as a kid. Right. It was aliens doing trucker lingo. Right. Like, you know, like it, and you just, you move on. That's what you paid attention to. You know, that's what your brain fixated. And yeah, exactly. There's no real time like we have here to, like, sit and ruminate on the Judge Dreadness because, you know... 
this is this is like an entire volume of strawberry ice cream and every issue of 2000 AD is like a tub of Neapolitan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just yeah. by its very nature, it it sort of makes sense that you wouldn't remember it because there's also some of maybe you were in a good chocolate mood that week, you know? So yeah, no, it yeah. makes sense you know, to me. Um, okay. I'm going to start wrapping some things up by asking a, is there any other stories you want to talk about in this volume? Absolutely not. I think I could talk about, <laughs> you're like, you're like, we've done two hours. We've done more than enough. Well, no, but I mean, like, I really do. I, 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 it didn't stop me from ranting about the stuff that I wanted to rant about, but like, you know, I like the Raggedy Man, but the story about the giant ass rats didn't care. Did I care about the simp? Really didn't care. Art was great, but I didn't care about it. <laughs> I, you know, I, but see, I like the simp because I like simps. Like I like that the the ridiculousness of simps. Mm-hmm. And I, this is the first simp story. Simps, we should say, for people who are not reading along, are people who feel the need to dress outrageously because they are so normal. Mm-hmm. And they feel that the only way that they will be noticed is if they are purposefully abnormal. It is people who are inauthentically weird because yeah. they are so boring. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Which I like. It's just a concept I I like. I find that I find that very ridiculous in a way that not necessarily rings true, but like feels very authentically Mega City One at this point. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? That, like it's it's the taken to extremes idea of someone who is boring, but they like they fixate on if I do X, I will be interesting. Right. Whereas you know? yeah, whereas I who have a Twitter account find that absolutely beneath mention or attention. So you know, and I shouldn't because when you put it like that, I'm like, oh yeah, right. I'm like, I don't care. Don't dig it. You know, next. Well, but again, that's that's not a particularly interesting story. Right. You know, and yeah. for me, when I think simps, I think like the simping detective, which is a Spurrier strip that came about like in the last 10 years. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. You know, so I'm like, oh, simps, it's the first appearance of simps because I'm thinking of it from that point of view. Right. Um, the rat story is kind of dull, but I like Brett Ewan and Jim McCarthy's start. And also I like the fact that rat is called Rentakill, which is the name of like the most famous exterminator company in the UK. <laughs> like, again, it's, it's jokes like that. that right. Like, there's a lot of them in this volume. Right. A lot of the Australian jokes in Oz, I think, I honestly think are based on like people watching Neighbours, the Australian soap opera, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I'm, someone will have to tell me if I'm right about my, my timing or not. I feel that Oz, as Oz's release coincided with like Neighbours' rise to prominence in UK culture. Mm. And I, I wonder how much, honestly, Oz came about because Neighbours was popular. It's funny. I thought that it seemed like a more informed take on um, the Crocodile Dundee movies, which were out yeah, around there's, this there's, time. And there's, so. Yeah, and there's, there's literally an explicit joke to, God, my brain's gone blank, but whatever, the Fosters, I think, was the brand of beer. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, Paul Hogan mm-hmm. advertised, and like there's and there's explicitly a parody of, of that commercial mm. uh, in in Oz, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in the Simp story, they make a reference to it happening over at Timmy Mallet Block, who is who was a television presenter at the time, who was I mean honestly just obnoxiously like I'm wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, there, again, there's that sort of reference in it. it it's it's interesting. The, the the British pop culture references are continue to be all through this mm-hmm. but in a way that i feel that people who don't get them can just overlook them oh absolutely they never it, yeah i don't never stumble over them yeah yeah you know, well like i feel in other volumes there's been an entire story based around like we want to make this pun at the end mm-hmm. 
fun as like, you know, did you watch this BBC sitcom from 1975? And I feel that that's not the case here. I feel yeah. that they've gotten better at basically keeping that stuff in as what it should be as an Easter egg. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think that's done very well. I mean, I do have to say there are fun parts in the rat story. I love that that Dredd calls for pest control and he's like, where the hell are they? And he's like, you called for them 30 seconds ago. And then when they do show up, he's like, you sent for us? And they're, he's like, yeah, yesterday. And it was literally like 90 seconds and yeah, and, the, and the ending. It's yeah, it's fun. Over. Yeah, it's, it, it's, got, it's got the, you know, the substandard dread of, this, of these days is still uh, pretty damn enjoyable, which is great. I would give it, I, I would give it a, a more drock than dross to be, to be funny. <laughs> Oh wow! Is that is that what we're doing now? Is that going to be our thing? I definitely <laughs> should be. Let's do that. That's what we're going to do from now on. It's okay. a drop drops. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But yes, I don't think there's anything I really need to to talk into the ground. Is there? Is there anything, Graham? Again, the miracle is Oz is literally twenty six installments. It takes up it's half, half the fucking yeah. book. Yeah, so you know. Um, there's there's honestly not the one thing that's interesting well there's two things one oz being so good and so long Mm -hmm. means this is actually very fast rate when you get into it absolutely um but that said i do feel that with the exception of, of uh raggedy man and revolution and the um like there, there's a handful of strips before that, but there's also a sense that like Dread's formula is is becoming a formula. Yep. Yeah. Before that, definitely. You know, we were like, oh, it's this kind of story. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's it's still an enjoyable formula. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you're beginning to recognize the shape of these things. Right. And on one hand, you know this this has now been going on for eleven years, mm-hmm. so sure, like right. that's fine. Right. But on the other hand, it's kind of funny because it's been so dominant mm-hmm. as like, you know, the, the evolution of the strip, right. The, the, the scale of the strip has been so dominant yeah. for so long. They're like, like the idea of like, Oh, I'm recognized for me. Like one of the reasons that Alabama blimps is just annoying to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that it feels like cheap jokes and nothing else. And you're like, but you can do both. You can do cheap jokes and something more. Oh, absolutely. Again, one of the things that's sort of fun about this volume and makes it sort of an intermediate, not a basic dread volume, but an intermediate dread volume is, is the way that they start, playing with your expectations of, oh, that's what kind of story this is. Actually, it's slightly different. It's this kind of story. Or it's this story crossed with that. And at least it seems new that way, you know? So. Yeah. 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 So, like the volume as a whole, I think, is is great. Like yeah. I, it's, and like I said, Oz being so good and being so long mm-hmm. definitely colors that. Like it's, it's, Oz is just... Oz saves this volume, and not that the volume needed to be saved per se, but like Oz pushes this volume over the top. Oh, definitely. Like I think coming up on Oz, I was like, it was more miss than hit for me at that point. You know, it was like two or three things that I thought were good, some things that I thought were pretty meh. But then Oz comes in and just, you know, I mean, it's twenty six episodes of just. It's absolute, you know, uh, chewing satisfaction to use the the use the gum the chewing gum ad from way back when. It's great <laughs> stuff. 
And and what other classification should be apart from Drock or Dross? Obviously, like let's keep that one around. Um, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's great. We it, we're into a new era. Next volume, mm-hmm. um, we're Wagner and Grant writing separately again. And th- th- what's funny is like for a while they're actually credited together. Wow. Still, mm-hmm. uh, but they are writing separately, and uh, th- not the strip kind of goes into limbo because it doesn't. It's still good, mm-hmm. but. I feel that like volume 12 is kind of a down volume mm. while Wagner who really takes over as lead dread writer again, mm-hmm. um, gathers his thoughts. Yeah. That would make sense. Like, 14 and 15 are just blinders. Mm. Mm. Again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's going to be, I'm curious what you're going to think of, of what's coming up. Mm. And I'm also, I, I have to ask, are you like, can you see yourself reading the, the chopper books? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm developing the, it's, how do I put it? The problem for me is the, is a problem of time. But before, when I looked at the other books that 2000 AD has collected in trade and out with varying degrees of interest, it's sort of approaching something kind of like hunger, you know, like, I want to read Strontium Dog. I want to read, you know, uh, Ace Trucking Company. I want to get into the stuff, kind of some of the stuff that's being collected at the same period. I'm really curious, like Wagner and Grant are doing such amazing work on Dread. It kind of blows my mind. They're also working on other strips at the same time as this. And that's, that's, that's just, that's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? To yeah. think that while Wagner and Grant are doing this, they're doing... Strontium Dog, they had done like, you know, or at the same time as like volumes, I want to say like volumes two through eight. Mm-hmm. They're doing uh, Robo Hunter as well. Right. They did an entire Judge Dredd spinoff strip mm-hmm. that, that has never been collected. Really? Called Hell Trackers about a group of, a convoy oh, right. of City, Mega City One. Right. Um, there's there's the Anderson stuff as well. Yeah, right. That like the Anderson stuff in particular, I think you would really enjoy at least the first volume of, mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's the return of Judge Death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, like yeah. they're like there's all of this stuff out there. Uh, it's just it's just especially after reading this, where Wagner again, Wagner in particular goes with Chopper. Right, I, I really like, yeah. and then I actually kind of regret reading everything after that. <laughs> I believe it. I I do believe it. Uh, it it is, yeah. Uh, anyway, all of which is to the say. Reason, the reason yeah. I do, I should say very quickly, is that I feel like every other writer wanted Chopper to have won Super Surf 10. Ah, uh, that's really funny. Yeah. No. And, and Wagner, like Wagner, clearly didn't. Right. I think, I think for myself, what's great, uh, what I like about Chopper is. You know, he sort of, he, you know, he literally surfs into the sunset. So if we see him again and it's, and it's Wagner, I'm like, one of the nice things that I feel that it, they've earned on Dread with them basically taking characters away and usually only bringing them back if they've got something they want to do with them. It's like, there's some quibblage about that. I mean, you know. Judge Child's return was a little ultimately inauspicious, I think. But 
you know, but as but as a general rule of thumb, part of me is like, oh, okay, if they want, if he's going to bring back Chopper, it's it's sort of because he's tried to figure out what's next. I guess that's the thing that I love about Chopper is is that Chopper starts off as a graffiti artist, becomes a sky surfer. Here he is as you know, he basically sky surfs his way to self actualization and freedom. Wherever you would go after that, I mean, I have this very vague idea in my mind. Like, I'm like, yeah, he sort of becomes Zosser of Zilk, doesn't he? You know, like, it's just totally, uh, <laughs> doesn't he sort of become a crazy cosmic sky surfing, you know, hero sort of thing? You know, and it's, it's like, that's goofy, but part of me is like, yeah, it wouldn't. I okay, would, now yeah. you have to read the, the two Wagner stories. Oh, involved. that's too funny. Okay. Have to. All right. If that's where you think he's going, now you have to read them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That sounds fair enough. That sounds fair enough. Uh, Graham, do you want to start uh, shutting this mother down? Let's let's shut this mother down properly. Um, we have show notes up for this at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have a an Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Tumblr account, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. And we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff has Twitter account at lazybastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. <laughs> I have a Twitter account at Graham M as G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff Lester has to get his butt in gear and say this. Everyone, we are so incredibly grateful uh, for the fact that you continue to lend us your ears on a almost weekly basis, um, tri weekly basis. I don't know. Uh, it already fell apart. You guys are great. You really are. You keep us motivated. I should give special shout outs to the people of Patreon um, uh, with every drop because not only are they kind enough to give us their hard earned dosh, uh, a little bit of their hard earned dosh, not all of their hard earned dosh, thank goodness, because dosh, dosh is hard to come by in this world, but a little bit of their hard earned dosh to keep us motivated, to keep us, um, you know, mentally fit and agile and making sure that we give, you know, give to you what you give to us based on what we have given to you. It's a, it's a beautiful virtuous circle people. Um, but I'm also super incredibly grateful because we did the Baxter building, the previous uh, 50 episode read through of the first volume of the fantastic four. And now our current read through of Drock precisely and entirely as a result of the support of the people on Patreon by uh, hitting our stretch goal and us stretching to, to, to hit it. And I have to say, I don't think that I would have made it through uh, 11 complete case files and a restricted case files on my own. Like I'm, I, I would have enjoyed what I read and I would have been like, holy shit, this is great. And then I'm sure I would have, wandered off in volume seven or something sort of the same way that I've never made it through Proust or anything like that. But all of which is to say we're super um, happy and so very thankful for your support, including that of Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, her continuing support of this podcast, as well as our little intergalactic region of space um, that she continues to protect with her almighty paw, uh, we're super in 
so very, very grateful. And um, I'm sure I said it so many times. It doesn't sound like I mean it, but in fact, I really, really do. Graham? I think that's all that really needs to be said. Um, we're, we will be back next month with a Drock uh, episode 13, volume 12. It confuses me. I think I even said we were doing volume 12 this time. It was volume 11. <laughs> you guessed that by now. <laughs> um, it's a Drock, Jeff, which means you sing us it. Yeah, that's true, oh, wait, everyone. Wait, no, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I, sh- mm-hmm. I should say this. This is actually important. We're doing a wait what next week. Yes. But also, this episode m- it might be going up slightly later than normal. And if so, it's because we've had technical difficulties that we will not bore you with. But we thank you very much for your patience, especially for anyone who has been trying to get to our podcasts for the last couple of days as we've been recording because of those technical difficulties. Yes. Now, Jeff, you can sing us out. Oh, yes. Anyway, yes. Um, what am I supposed to say? Oh, yeah. I think it's something like... Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. <laughs>